turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNOW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have any money questions for the show, I'd love to hear from you. Just shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. want to talk a little bit about bonds today. So as I'm recording this show on April 23rd, as we look at the market so far this year, we've got the Bloomberg Municipal Bond Market Index down 8.59%. So that's tax-free bonds around the country. The Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, which is all the other types of bonds, typically higher qualities, down 9.49% for the year. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 is down... 9.99% for the year. So we do have one of those rare years where you've got stocks and bonds down together. And why? It's because Federal Reserve is not only raising rates, and that's the overnight lending rate between banks, but during the COVID crisis, in order to create liquidity and stability, they went out and bought normal, just bonds, normal bonds like you and I would buy, or like bond fund managers would buy out in the market. And they took money and they created a balance sheet of bonds. And now they're going to start selling those bonds because now they're all worried about this inflation that, well, honestly, a lot of the uh, stuff that was done to deal with the economic fallback of COVID created a lot of money in the system, like all the PPP loans and stimulus checks that really turned out to not be needed. And now it's causing a lot of dollars out there chasing too few goods because of the supply chain and that's causing inflation. So we're going to talk about bonds a little bit here. And first, let's talk about kind of that recessionary watch because a lot of people are worried about, okay, what do I do with bonds? What about, is there a recession coming? Well, there's always a recession coming. There's typically a recession every, you know, somewhere between five and 10 years on average. They haven't been, uh, the last one that we saw during COVID was very quick sharp decline and a sharp rebound, fastest in history. And then you have certain issues like the Great Recession, which was a global financial crisis that um, you know, lasted a much longer period of time. It was much painful. Typically, you get a recession and you're out of it somewhere between 12 and 18 months. And it's fine. It doesn't mean you sell a bunch of stocks, things like that. But people are wondering what to do because you keep hearing it, interest rates are going up. And that typically means bond funds fall in value. So it's a big concern. And then that idea of an inverted yield curve, that signals a recession. 
Well, not always, I will say. And it's not a specific time that happens between an inverted yield curve and when a recession comes. What does an inverted yield curve mean? It means that the, the, the government issues all sorts of bonds. They issue, uh, for example, two-year treasuries where you loan money to the government for two years, you get an interest and you get your money back at the end of the two years. And then they have 10-year treasuries. And then 30-year, for example. And what it means is that for a short minute, short period of time, the two-year bond was paying more in interest than a 10-year bond, which means people are scared. They're not willing to lend money out. They're not willing to have a lack of liquidity for up to 10 years because they're worried about the economy. And um, so that's what happens. Or you get a situation where people are very worried about the economy. Short-term rates are going up and everybody piles into the 10-year treasury. When the bond prices go up, the yields come down. So it basically means that shorter-term bonds from the government paid more for a little while than longer-term bonds. Now, that uninverted already. I mean, it was a very short period of time and it already uninverted. And that's when folks like Jeffrey Gunlock, the you know so-called called bond king, um, of double line is on recession watch. And that's fine. I mean, recessions come and go. It's a normal part of the economy. It shakes out some of the ridiculous amount of speculation that we saw coming into, you know, towards 2021 with everybody trading these speculative stocks on apps like Robinhood. So it's kind of a difficult period of time because you're like, okay, we know that the feds need to increase interest rates. You know, the, the underlying economy is hot. It's, it's causing inflation and rates got to go up. And when rates go up, it's costs more to borrow money. It costs more to buy a house. So this housing market slows. Uh, businesses tend to reduce what they borrow to expand their businesses because they kind of sit back and wait and see what happens. And you get that slowdown. And then when interest rates are rising, it's like, okay, what do I do with my bonds? That's what we've been talking about a lot, a lot about this on the show lately. I want to give you a case for bonds, though, because it doesn't mean you go sell all of your bonds. I think that the last couple of shows that I talked about, people that are close to or in retirement, if they have a lump sum of money or if they have to reduce exposure to stocks because of their asset allocation, you know, maybe they look at paying down their mortgage instead of buying more bonds. But I'm not telling people necessarily to sell their bonds. Bonds have experienced their third, well, actually now what we're sitting on is basically the worst two-year period since 1926, I believe. And the last, so last year was down about 2%. Now we're down, like I said, close to nine on the overall bond market. Um, In 1926, bonds were down 3.1% one year and then down negative 2.7% the next year. But then they went on to gain, the overall bond market went on to gain 11.4% and 23% over the following two years. Historically low rates have made us question the role of bonds in portfolios, but we can't forget what they do for us in down periods. When you have a recession, when you have an economic issue, and you have safe, high-quality bonds, bonds were positive during all of the 15 recessions since 1929, averaging 7.8%. So even though the yields are still relatively low on bonds, you get that price appreciation when you do go through a tough time in the stock market and the overall economy. So keep that in mind. Now, what's interesting is where the municipal bond market that held up fairly well last year 
is taking a bit of a beating this year. So you're seeing a lot of California tax-free bond funds, for example, or Oregon tax-free bond funds if you're in that state, down in the, you know, somewhere between the six to eight and a half, nine percent range. So one of the things you do when you have losses like this is you do what you can to to add value to a portfolio, right? And one of those things that you want to pay attention to if you have a taxable account is tax loss harvesting. If you know you have gains this year from other areas, sales of real estate, a business or other stocks, or you know you're like, man, I have too much large cap tech and I know I need to trim it, but I want to pay taxes. What we can do is you can look in your portfolio. Are there any losses in your taxable account? You can sell it, stay out of it for at least 30 days and go back into it, or you can sell it and go into something similar instead. So for example, if you have California tax-free bond funds, consult a broker advisor, CPA before taking any action to see if you need to do this. This is not a recommendation. It's just an idea that you could sell California taxable bond funds and buy a ETF, exchange-traded fund that invests in California munis. And that way you're, you're still in it because they've fallen so far so fast. It's like some people are starting to look and say, okay, have they oversold? Do we really think rates are going to go up another 1% from here before the economy slows? And the feds have to stop. And remember, the feds are doing overnight lending rate between banks. They are selling bonds, but when they hear interest rates rising, it's overnight lending rate between banks. So it's something to consider before you say, hey, I'm just going to go ditch all my bonds because I keep hearing interest rates are rising. Well, everybody already knows that. Everybody knows there's inflation. Everybody knows what the Fed is doing. So and a lot of times, sometimes when, when everybody knows it, that's when the market kind of overprices stuff. So you have to be aware of that. When we come back after the break, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Jeffrey Gunlock and what they're uh, doing in terms of international investments right now. That's another interesting topic with Russia and everything else going on. The idea a lot of people have that the traditional asset allocation model that was created in the 90s over the efficient frontier, which calls for typically somewhere between 15 and 30%. And international investments, it hasn't been a great uh, value add to portfolios in the last decade. The previous decade, international stocks outperformed U.S. stocks. And so going into both 2021 and 2022, the idea was that a lot of those international stocks, whether international developed or emerging markets, were cheaper and growing faster. Um, and then you had supply chain issues and, and now Russia. So everybody's questioning that that idea of, do I need that much international allocation? Especially since so many U.S. companies have close to 40-50% of their revenue coming from overseas. Uh, but now it's kind of like, are we going from a globalization you know, couple of decades to a deglobalization couple of decades? That's the question. I will say that I was just talking about the, the bond king, Jeffrey Gunlock. And Jeff Schlegel of Financial Advisor Magazine last, wrote last week that... Uh, that uh, Gunlock said his firm last year bought European equities for the first time in its 13-year existence. At the same time, it trimmed U.S. equities. He noted that Europe has a divergent return profile year-to-date, with the U.K. being up, Spain being decent, Germany being not so hot. And he added, while the S&P 500 index has trounced the main index of European stocks for much of the past 11 years, both markets have performed about the same since mid-2020. And they strongly believe that Europe will outperform, particularly when the next recession comes, because when it does come, 
uh, he said, Jeffrey Gunlock said, his highest conviction idea is that the U.S. dollar is going down because the U.S. dollar tracks the twin deficits, which is the trade deficit and the budget deficit, both which have zoomed upwards. So I'm hearing that a lot lately. If you kind of watch Bloomberg, I, I don't watch CNBC. I think it's garbage, um, especially when they get seven people on the screen saying, I think this, I think that. It's just garbage. Bloomberg does good interviews. And so when uh, I've heard a lot of people talking about that, first of all, you already have European and emerging markets trading as if they're in a deep recession. We all know the Russia issues. It, it's, it's there. We all know that there's continued COVID issues in China um, and they're cutting rates though, right? They're cutting rates to stimulate. And based on that dollar play, it is setting up for a reason to maybe not add a bunch of money in or go overweight an international by any means. We're constantly talking about, do we want to keep the international exposure we had? But it is a call for not just selling and quitting on international investing because of that rotation in asset classes and sectors and you know, U.S. versus emerging markets. But typically the best time to buy stuff or the worst time to want to sell it is when the news is already bad and the results are already bad. Just think about people in their 401ks. They usually sign up for a 401k and they put all their money in the funds that have done the best over the last couple of years. Really what you should be doing is keeping diversified asset classes, large cap, small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets, bonds. And when something that's done really well over a 10, 15, 20 year period is having a rough time, that's when you start adding to it again and making sure that you have the proper exposure as you add to it over the next few years. So, okay. So with all that said, gosh, we've talked about bonds, rates, international investing, all the things that people seem to be really worried about now. What do you do if you feel like there's a pending recession, right? What do you do? Well, when you're younger and you're building wealth and things like that, you you just got to make sure that if you have some sort of a job loss, a job pause, a, a renter that moves out of your rental property, you have enough cash, you have enough safe money to last six to 12 months if you go without a job or your business shuts down again. Recessions always end and the market always rebounds. And you have to make sure that you are invested properly so that if the market does decline, and look, stocks can fall 20, 40% for a very short period of time during a recession. Um, and it could be a more of a long drawn out time, October 2007 to March of 2009. And then most balanced portfolios recovered by late 2010, 2011. Um, but you don't want to sell everything because stocks pay dividends and those dividends get reinvested at a really good time while the, the way the share prices are down. So you get paid to wait. You, you have money being reinvested. But you still have to make sure that number one, you're invested so that you can look at your portfolio and realize what it did during the last couple of recessions. How much exposure to stocks do you have? Equate a percentage drop. Like equate, if you're 100% stock portfolio, know what negative 20% looks like. Know what negative uh, 10% looks like and equate it to a dollar value so you know whether or not you're going to panic out. So don't be invested beyond your risk tolerance. And if you're within five years from retirement or close to retirement, you need to make sure that you know, have a very good detailed financial plan, very detailed cash flow analysis. You know that 
other than your social security, pensions, rental income, dividends, and interest in your taxable accounts, how much more do you need to draw from your portfolio to live? And three years worth of those portfolio draws into being cash. And if you do it right, that'll get you through recessions, all right? They come and they go. They're scary. They're not fun to deal with. And I'm not saying we're definitely going to have one. I, right now, I kind of see more of a, a 2023 slowdown when it comes to comparables um, and maybe a 30, 40% chance of recession, but it's, a, it's all a guess. And it's day-to-day based on what the Fed's doing, what's happening in Russia and the supply chain. Things can change pretty quickly. Um, a lot of that has to do with, can the Fed create a soft landing when it comes to getting inflation back under control? It's all based on that. But you just have to be able to be invested properly, have enough cash to make you feel comfortable so that you don't make emotional mistakes. Like a lot of people were making emotional mistakes in 2021. A lot of people were feeling like they were missing out on the big run-up in the stock market. So they started buying just garbage companies that were trading at ridiculous valuations, but it was all based on a story. I mean, just name the stock, Peloton, whatever it could be. It's it's like everybody got into it and then the bubble popped. And people got into it because of the, the, that fear of missing out. It's a tough emotion, like that greed. But then when you get scared, that can cause you to sell things at the wrong time. So you really just have to be steady and stay the course. If you can't, you need to you know, have somebody that managing your money that can. So keep that in mind. You, if you have a retirement plan, one of the things that you definitely need to do is be able to run different scenarios because a lot of people will ask, okay, what if I have a period of you know, rough market returns? Because if you look at the stock market, it's usually, you know, you got a period of really good years, period of mediocre years, and a couple of years of bad years. And it all evens out over time. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcase is always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. I've been specializing in retirement estate planning for it would be 29 years in August. And started at a really young age with my grandfather. And so I really got thrown into the world of especially retirement planning in the later years. He was 62 when I joined him. And a lot of his clients were much older. So I was dealing with estate plans, people going into nursing homes, how to uh, distribute money out of different types of accounts properly to deal with taxes. And I will tell you that if you want a solid retirement plan, you have to be able to have a base financial plan. And this is what it's likely going to look like. And that that plan has to be programmed in to say, which accounts are you going to draw from to meet your expenses? Because you got different types of accounts. You got cash, you got taxable accounts, you've got Roths, you got 401ks, IRAs. You got to figure out where's the money going to come from. You have to be able to run what if scenarios. What if my husband or wife goes into a nursing home for five years at age 80? How much is left over for me? And you should be able to have these details. You should be able to log in at any time during the day and look at them. If you're paying an advisor 1% or more to manage your money, or you're using a person that sells commission-based annuity products for retirement, and you don't have a detailed financial plan, you don't know what your future tax situation looks like, how much you're going to pull from your IRAs at 72, 
how much you're likely going to leave your kids at age 95. You, you are wasting your money. The investment side is the easy side. Paying somebody 1% just to do pie chart investing and create an asset allocation, too simple. You got to get more out of that situation. You have to have the ability to review scenarios. For example, what about just, just basic unexpected health events? And this is one of the reasons why my view of retirement and life changed a lot because as I've gone through the career, I've seen so many people retire at 65 finally, you know, work 50, 60 hours a week or more, have all these plans and, and bucket lists at retirement. And then they hit 65 and then, you know, they'd spend a couple of years having a decent time, but they didn't pay attention to their health. And all of a sudden their health fails and they spend more time going to the doctor than traveling and doing what they want to do. So I am more than happy to postpone my retirement a bit to, to travel and make memories with my kids and things like that because I spent so many years building a business, having kids at a young age and not doing a lot of that stuff. Um, and the, or you, know, you get an unexpected health event, whether it's cancer or something like that. So this happens a lot too when you have different ages and people where one person retires at 65, but they're married to somebody younger than them that's going to work another few years. Well, what if that other person goes into, has a healthcare event and you have to take time off work to care for them? What's your future look like if that younger person is going to need to have enough money till age 100? That's what, one thing that you need to do. What are your kids like? Do you, are you going to end up helping kids more with education than you think? Or um, you have kids that are always financially kind of you're, you're sucking you dry, I guess you could say. There's all sorts of different scenarios that you might be able to run with a cash flow projection. And once you build a base financial plan where you say, this is my assets that I own, these are the types of investments that I have, and you, you're very clearly running a conservative growth estimate on the various types of stocks and bonds inside your portfolio or mutual funds and ETFs, a very conservative projection on what these things are going to earn throughout your lifetime. And then you take your expenses, including all your healthcare costs and Medicare Part B and IRMA, which is higher premiums for Medicare Part B if you make over about 180 as a married couple, for example. And you got inflation on your normal expenses that can vary. And then you got inflation on your healthcare costs that are going to run at least 5% inflation. Projecting that all forward in a very conservative manner Knowing that, okay, if I have a mediocre rate of return on my portfolio, like I like was from 2007 to 2017, for example, if I have that forever, what does, because remember 2007, 2017, including the great recession of 08 and 09. Um, so what does my scenario look like? And then you can, once you get everything programmed properly and you know your asset allocation, your distribution plan, you can run what's called Monte Carlo simulations, which takes well over you know, a thousand or more different market scenarios of good returns come now and then bad returns later, or bad returns come first and then good returns later. And then the, you know, just the volatility that can be in the market, the order of stock market returns, it's the sequence of return risk, high inflation, low inflation, longevity. And you can actually get a success rate based on those Monte Carlo simulations. And knowing what you're, distribution plan is, what your plan for cash and rebalancing portfolios to get through recessions, being able to see this clearly on a cash flow projection and report, and then being able to log into a financial site and after a market correction, being able to review that report that's updated in real time 
and you still, oh, okay, I'm still okay. Or nope, oh, it's running a little bit thin when I'm 100. I better, instead of uh, spending a whole bunch of money on vacation this year, maybe I'll dial it back a little bit and wait until the market recovers. Those are the types of adjustments that you can make with a really good, well-thought-out financial plan, detailed cash flow projection, and then being able to run different scenarios. Lately, we're running a lot of scenarios on uh, early retirement or a sabbaticals or downsizing homes, buying second homes. Um, a lot of people are looking at their real estate saying, boy, this just isn't cash flowing like it used to. I've got a really large value on this piece of real estate that you know it's super high. Maybe I should sell it, pay the taxes and move on or 1031 exchange it. All those things should be part of the financial plan. All of those decision-making processes. You know, a lot of what I see too in retirement is when people, there's a lot of moments that happen throughout retirement why it's good to have a good financial plan. One is tax planning, obviously. One is keeping people from making mistakes. But as people age, they have trouble making financial decisions. Um, And you see that when people age and they can't remember things as well as they used to. Um, gray divorce is another situation that is hitting people in retirement as a situation where they just didn't think about divorce rates, you know, rose across the nation. Thanks to COVID-19 people stayed at home with each other. They got sick of each other. They got irritated with each other, but older people are divorcing at higher rates. They call it gray divorce. Right. And sometimes it's a situation where the sandwich generation, you get, You've got young kids that you're caring for. You're, you're getting them off to college, but then your parents are aging and you're helping take care of them. And then all of a sudden that all ends. The kids are out of college. They're on their own. Maybe the parents pass away. And then you've got two people that had just grown apart. They don't know each other. They are, they're into much different interests. And that gray divorce situation is happening more and more. And if you think about it, when people get divorced, your expenses are not cut in half, Right. It's, it's, you have the same amount of assets that now have to support two houses, two utility bills, and all of the other stuff that you, you could think of on that. Um, it's a very careful consideration. Retirees are still definitely worried about healthcare costs. That's the number one. I was talking about earlier in the show, inflation and what to do with bonds is kind of a current one. And will there be a recession? But the number one issue with retirees that they worry about is healthcare costs. How am I going to be able to afford to pay for the rising costs? People have seen their parents go into a nursing home or a memory care at 120 grand a year and they're wondering how they're going to pay for it. Well, when you do a financial plan and you have a cash flow projection, you can run those scenarios and you can have family discussions. Is it wise for you to buy long-term care insurance? That's gotten pretty expensive, a little bit out of hand. Well, maybe it's wise if you have an old insurance policy or if you need life insurance, there's policies that you can buy that you can use the death benefit early to pay for long-term care costs if you go in. Uh, Those policies have actually gotten better. Um, Maybe you don't want to do that either and you want to say, you know what, if I go through my assets and one of us or both of us are in a nursing home, then we're going to use equity in the house with either a reverse mortgage or, or selling it. That's always a tough problem because selling it creates capital gains versus leaving it to your kids. It gets a step up in basis. And a lot of older adults want an age in place. That means that 
especially with COVID, like the, the entry to nursing homes I've heard is actually way down. Um, the amount of people that were moving into nursing homes was quite a bit, but with COVID, it kind of spooked everybody because grandma and grandpa got locked in. And so a lot more people now are worried about that and want to age in place. Well, if you want to do that, how are you going to do that? Right? How are you going to pay for that if you don't have insurance and you don't necessarily want to sell your house? You've got to come up with a plan and you should discuss that plan with your family members so they know if mom or dad or both are incapacitated, they can't make financial decisions and son or daughter is a, it's called a power of attorney um, or they're the, the, what's called a successor trustee and in your trust, you've written how you want to be cared for if you become incapacitated. And here's the plan. You got to discuss those things with your family. It's not fun. It's not something you want to do over Christmas or Thanksgiving because that's going to really turn the mood down, right? But it's, it's something you need to do as part of your overall financial planning. So I hope that helps. If you have any money questions, situations that you want to go over, you want me to talk about on radio without using your name. And if you don't ever want me to use your name, just say, please don't use my real name. I don't use the last names, but shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. You can find in all the links to Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, everything. It's all there. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. Most of the time I try to tell you when I'm going to hit the question on the air. I might not type back a giant response, but I'll probably tell you when the, I will answer the question on the air. This one's from Rosie. And says, Chad, I have a question. I'm 75 years old now and I'm receiving required minimum distributions from my stock investments in my IRA. What's the best way to reinvest this money that I cannot put back into my IRAs? Well, Rosie, that's a good problem to have. It's because um, it means you, you don't even need to spend the money that's in your IRA. So a couple of thoughts here. First of all, what is a required minimum distribution? If you have IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, once you turn 72, that's the new age based on the law that was passed in 2020. Once you turn 72, you have to start taking money out of your IRAs and 401ks. And the number, I think the, the best place to find it is irahelp.com. You can uh, look at the resources and it gives you the good tables. But the best way to think about it is the IRS starting at age 72 wants you to pull essentially enough money out over your lifetime so that as you age, it is, you know, essentially can go to zero. So they get their, their income from the revenue on the taxes. And the, the thing you have to think about is that, well, somebody's going to pay the taxes on your IRAs. When the required minimum distribution age changed to age 72, they also change it so that your beneficiaries, when you leave, when you, when you pass away and you, you are married, your IRA can go to your spouse and they can roll it into their IRA. If you don't have a spouse then, and your kids inherit it or anybody else for that matter, they can leave it in an inherited IRA for up to 10 years, but somebody's paying the taxes. So when I look at a situation like this, when somebody's having to take required minimum distributions, but they don't need the money, then a couple of questions. Like maybe you should take your required minimum distribution, but then maybe you should also be doing some IRA to Roth conversions up to a point where you're at a lower, you know, up, up to a point where you're maxing out an existing tax bracket that, that is likely going to be lower than your children's so that you're paying taxes at your bracket that could be lower than your kids. So that's one thing to think about, Rosie, if you're trying to leave money to your heirs. 
The other thing that you want to think about is if you are a charitably inclined person, you can give up to $100,000 out of your IRA each year if you're over 70 and a half. And so that means if you're over 72 and let's say your required minimum distribution is $10,000, you don't want to pay taxes on that. You could actually give that required minimum distribution to a nonprofit organization through a qualified charitable rollover or I'm sorry, a qualified charitable distribution is what it's called. And so we have clients doing that all the time for their favorite nonprofits, churches, charities, things like that. But if you're not charitably inclined, you're trying to keep the money invested for your future. Well, Rosie, all you need to do is figure out, okay, let's say you have your IRA and it's at Schwab and you have a required minimum distribution every year. Well, you open up a taxable account at Schwab. If you have a living trust, it would be a living trust account at Schwab. And you could set it up so that your required minimum distribution gets processed automatically every year. They withhold enough taxes. It goes into the the trust account. And essentially, you just buy back the same investments that were were held in your IRA um, and, and they're just in your taxable account. And when you do that, it's, you know, might, if you don't need that income from those investments, you could always set it up to buy like ETFs, exchange traded funds and have the dividends reinvested to constantly buy more stocks. You could also technically do your required minimum distribution in kind. And this is for people that have cash outside of the IRA to pay the taxes. So in other words, if your required minimum distribution is $10,000, you could call up Schwab and say, I want to move $10,000 worth of Apple stock from my IRA to my taxable account in kind. It's a taxable distribution. So you get to get a 1099 on it, but you're just moving the shares over. So that stops you from having to sell something, create the cash, transfer the cash, and then buy it right back. So that is possible. We even do that with IRA to Roth conversions in some cases. So you might need some help to get that all set up, but it's something that you need to think about doing. And those people that are out there that don't need their IRAs, it's a great problem to have, but somebody's going to pay the taxes unless you give it to a charity. So for those people that have IRA accounts that they're really not using and they have the intent to leave money to charity when they pass away, then there's two ways to do it. You either carve out the money that you want to leave to charity and you put it in a separate IRA account. So in other words, if you had a $100,000 IRA and you want to leave $10,000 of that to charity, sometimes it's cleaner to open up a, a new IRA account, transfer ten grand over and have a charity named as the sole beneficiary on that account. Or you can name, if you have a good estate plan, a good financial advisor, a good attorney, you can name your living trust as the beneficiary of your IRA with instructions to your trustee that any charitable request that I want in my trust is we use the IRA funds first to do that because that way the money can go from the IRA to the charity and the charity never pays taxes. And then the kids get other assets that are a heck of a lot better to inherit. For example, Roth IRAs, kids can inherit a Roth IRA, have it grow tax-free for 10 years. If you have stock or real estate in your name and you pass away, it gets a step up in basis. Your kids can inherit that and pay zero taxes when they sell it. But IRAs, guys, somebody's paying the taxes unless it's given to charity. 
So keep that in mind when you're doing your estate plan. Um, it's been a big switch since 2020 when all the laws changed that we used to not want to have our beneficiaries be the living trust. We would always want to name the individuals directly, but that's all changed. Estate plans need to be updated. They need to be updated because there's a big tax law change in 2017 that expires in 2026. And then IRA estate planning has changed drastically. So if you haven't booked in a, a meeting to discuss your estate plan with your financial advisor or your attorney, you need to do so. If you need help on any of those money issues, we do it all at EP Wealth. At EP Wealth, we do financial planning, estate planning, investment advice. We're fiduciary-based. There's no commissions involved. It's all fee-only, fiduciary-based planning. A bunch of certified financial planner practitioners. Yeah expertise from retirement to college to 1031 exchanges and real estate uh, and advice in all of those areas, including estate planning and taxes. We have attorneys and CPAs even on staff. So if you have a money question for the show, don't be afraid to send it to me. Just go to chadburton.com or you're there, visit the website. Got a lot of good downloadables. Things like, can you fund a Roth IRA? If not, can you fund a backdoor Roth IRA? If not, how about a mega Roth 401k? bunch of downloadables there ready for you to check out thanks for listening please tell a friend about the show facebook linkedin twitter itunes for the podcast it's all at chadburton.com 